Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus would. Today we're going to cover a pretty sensitive topic, homosexuality. If you normally listen to this show with young children, you may want to preview this one just in case there's any content they might find confusing or may need a little more explanation. My guest today is Ann Polk. Ann is the Executive Director for Restored Hope Network, a coalition of ministries that offer hope and healing for those caught in the homosexual lifestyle. Over the last 20 years, Anne has written countless articles and given countless interviews and talks as she has sought to make the truth known and extend a helping hand to those who want it. I want to read, by, I want to read a quote by you, Anne, from the Restored Hope website because I think it captures who you are and what you're trying to do so well. Again, this is, these are your words. I do this work because of the work the Lord has done in me. I know it's possible to be set free from sexual confusion and sin because that is my story. It is the testimony of thousands just like me. We at Restored Hope want to make sure all who seek the same healing we've experienced through submitting to Jesus can have it be their story too. That is beautiful. And welcome to the show. Well, it's a delight to be with you, Roy. Thanks for having me. And I know you speak from a number of different angles on this topic. One, as a person who's struggled with your own same-sex attraction. Two, as someone who has seen the miraculous power of Jesus to deliver from sin. And also three, as someone who has seen those who have tasted of the goodness of the power of God to deliver to then fall away. Please share some of that story with us today. Well, you bet. My story was that I, uh, growing up in a Christian home, kind of nominal Christian home, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I actually hadn't heard the gospel, so that was missing. That Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and what sin is. It's rebellion to God that all of us participate in at some point in our lives, and we all need the kindness that Jesus extended. So as I wandered through life at four years old, I was molested by a teenage boy in my neighborhood, and that really that caused a lot of pain in my life. It made me feel dirty as a little girl, guilty, as if it was my fault what had happened. And I kept that news to myself. So growing up, it was kind of like the picture the Lord gave me later on in life was if a tree, a redwood or any pine tree is growing and a huge limb falls on it, it will continue to grow, but it will have this burden on its back. It'll be mm. growing sideways or it will, it'll be misshapen a little bit. Wow. So that kind of effect happened to me at the age of four. And as I went through life, I found that being a girl seemed to be dangerous. And overnight, literally, my mom said, you became much of a really strong tomboy overnight. And there Mm. were other effects too, like fearful dreams and what have you. So I go through elementary school, high school, college, beginning of college with these really strong feelings for other girls. You see... 
when uh, that happened in my life and I separated my the value of who I was from being a girl and saw that as dangerous, mm. I still needed to somehow connect with that part of myself and that became sexualized later on in life. I didn't fit. I was a tomboy. All the other girls went through puberty and they started primping and preening in <laughs> front of the the mirror and I couldn't mm. do it. I just, I had a reason for being a tomboy and that was uh, because of the molestation earlier in my life. So, mm. so when that, now happily that's not everybody's story, but that unfortunately was mine. Mm. Um, so going through high school years, I tried to fit in with all the other girls. I didn't quite feel it, but then got away to college and the little bit I knew about God, I threw out and embraced mm. homosexuality. So, when I see folks that are out there in the gay life, sometimes I think some of you have been through a lot of difficulty in your lives that has drawn you towards homosexuality mm. as an answer. You're looking for love, but the fulfilling love that you'd find in the Savior's arms isn't there. Mm. So I, I recognize that, and I have a lot of compassion for people who are in the gay life. Moving forward in my freshman year in college, uh, as I threw God out and pursued homosexuality with everything in me, I just kept going my way. And then one time had an experience with a gay group on campus. I felt like God said, the love that you're looking for will not be found here. And I thought, wow. oh my gosh, I know this is true. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just know hmm. that this thought that must have pierced from heaven down into my heart in the middle of a gay meeting on campus at UC Santa Barbara <laughs> was like, what? You showed up here and you mm. told me truth in the middle of it that kind of wrecked my life mm. of what I was pursuing. So that was the beginning of inquiry about, okay, well, who is Jesus and what does he say about himself? And so that set me down a pathway that led me into a Christian fellowship on campus, a Baptist student movement called Campus Ambassadors. It wasn't the most popular group on campus, but they were just an, a dynamic group. I'm still friends with the fellow who led that group. Mm. You know, we went through something like an alpha course where you talk about really critical issues like darkness and light, evil and good, how can it exist if God is good, mm. etc. And as we were deciphering these things, I realized that Christianity is actually credible. And then the night, the final night, as we were all praying, I sensed that God was there, that he was real, and that he wanted, he was interacting with people mm. as they prayed. And this is very charismatic feel, but it was in the middle of a Baptist student movement. Okay, so <laughs> whatever. Uh, so anyway, there I was, and I'm like, there is a person who exists, who is unseen, who's present, and who's loving and kind mm. and true mm. and full of authority. And I want this person in my life. So I told the fellow that night, and he thought, uh, you know, well, God's calling you, but he didn't push me. He just said, if, you, if you're ready, here's what, here's the sinner's prayer. Mm. And uh, that night I couldn't hold off. I did, and that began a whole new journey for me. And I was 19 years old. Wow. That didn't eradicate my same-sex attraction. It did for about six months. That wasn't the goal. The goal was coming to Jesus. Mm. And mm. I didn't know what would happen with the rest of my life. I just knew I wanted him, and I was willing to surrender anything to have him in my life. So as I walked through things, God began to unearth the molestation experience, and I began to get counseling, and that was so, sort of helpful, but I wasn't ready for everything and mm. couldn't go very far. 
and then ended up stumbling into a lesbian relationship with a fellow Christian, which was not good. Mm. But that pointed out that I still had a lot of work to do. It Mm. wasn't only accountability, prayer, and reading your Bible that was going to make the difference. I actually had to let him into some dark areas of my life Mm. so that I could walk free from some stuff that was holding me back, that I could let the chainsaw down on that tree to lift the branch that had Mm. wounded me, right? Mm. That took years. It took years to forgive the young man who'd molested me. Um, I began slowly, but, uh, and then finally, I felt, you know, I read, you know, unless you forgive from your heart. <laughs> I thought, well, wait, wait, hold on here. <laughs> I can't manufacture this. Mm. I, this is something beyond me. Okay, so God, I hear you. It feels unjust that I should forgive somebody who did such damage in my life. But you are just, and so I can entrust this to you. Help me, help mm. me get there. Mm. And he did. A couple of weeks later, I actually had a phone conversation where the person called me, which was very out of the blue, and I responded in joy. I was happy to hear the, this fellow's voice, very much of an adult man at this point. Mm. And I thought, wow, Lord, you did it. <laughs> you changed my something I couldn't even touch. I could do the legal writ of forgiveness, but the from the heart business, that's way beyond any human control. Mm. So anyway, so God, God made way. But that process, that particular one, the one that had hurt me so deeply is what God used to free me to see being a woman as good. Mm. And after that, I made huge leaps and bounds forward in my walk with Jesus, not just on the practical day to day things, but emotionally and identifying with other women as another another gal, someone to learn from, rather than mm. trying to grasp something that, that was inappropriate from her. Mm. So crazy stuff happened in my life. And then I became interested noticing men were very different all of a sudden. <laughs> Just, I mean, you know, puberty at what, 28 years old, 25? It's kind of crazy, but uh. that's what it felt like I was going through. Mm. So that led me to marriage, and I married someone from the ex-gay background, and we were married 21 years. Hmm. And he, over time, kept compromising his walk and ended up back in the gay life. And he's he's in a partnership with a man. Hmm. With three kids I've had along the way, it's just, uh, yeah, I've seen this from a couple of different angles, for sure. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Anne. I love how you put so much focus on Jesus throughout your story and his faithfulness and his power and his leading. What a powerful story. I want to cover some of the many questions that a lot of us as Christians get on the topic of homosexuality in the area of apologetics. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to just kind of go through these one by one, especially for those of us who haven't had a personal experience in the homosexual lifestyle. We feel maybe a little ill-equipped or uninformed, and so maybe you could help us with some some perspective that would be um, empowering for us. Absolutely. Uh, the, the first one is, and again, this is usually kind of leveled at Christians as an attack. It usually comes something like this. Why don't Christians want to let gay people get married? 
Well, you know, I don't think it's about keeping people from happiness. That's not the goal of Christians. That's definitely not my goal. Hmm. I think the point here is that marriage is more than a contract between two people. It's actually a cultural good. It's a relational good. It points back to the material structures of the universe and how things were created, how our bodies were made, our design, what's best for children, and all sorts of things. Marriage is more than two people. It actually involves uh, families and and culture and Hmm. an entire nation, but it's its own little unit. And as a Christian, we believe that people were made male and female in the image of God, and that actually is very profound. So pointing to the the Genesis story that Jesus affirmed, by the way, in Matthew 19, he pointed right back to that in answering the Pharisees on a question. Our design, our creation, if we believe that God exists, which of course Christians do, and that he intended He deliberately intended to create us in a particular image that was his intent. That matters a lot. Hmm. Uh, In fact, the beginning of Scripture starts with a a marriage, and the end of Scripture ends with a marriage of Christ to the church. And the imagery is Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So it is deeply significant. It's throughout Scripture, and it's never uh, aligned with two people of the same gender. Hmm. Now, Public policy-wise, that's a whole different story, but our God is the God of reality. If you look at the physical body, and the imagery that I think of is like the seatbelt ad that was put out for by an airline in Europe advertising for gay couples. It was two female parts, two male parts, and then a male-female, and which one clicks together? I mean, that's the irony. It was trying to bring gay couples onto their... um, the airline, right? Uh, Advertise it there. Unfortunately, what they did is they pointed out that only one of those will work to hold you in your seat as far Mm. as a seatbelt. Well, the same thing goes for there's only one design that leads to thriving and flourishing from a Christian's viewpoint. And it also leads to the next generation of humans. What if Mm. everybody was gay or lesbian? Mm. There would be no next generation. Mm. And I, I think that's significant. I mean, that, that points to biological realities that may be uncomfortable to talk about, but are real hmm. and are significant. So I don't think Christians are wanting to deny people happiness. I think they want happiness that is the most important form of it to thrive in the U.S. And um, romance is more than simply any two people put together or thruple or more than that. Hmm. Mm, That's good. Another one that's like that that we've heard a lot is, why don't Christians want to let monogamous, committed gay couples adopt? Well, that's another good question, and it's a public policy question. Now, our expertise is not public policy, so I just want (laughs) to let you know that up front. Uh, But... What I have noticed in the social science field is that children thrive when they have one of each parent, a a mother and a father in the home. There's a whole lot of role modeling going on. There's an affirmation. And when you remove one of those by definition, gay couples have to remove either a male or female from that equation, then you are missing out on half of what a child needs. Now, obviously, a lot of people grew up in single-parent homes, 
But that's not the ideal either, is it? The ideal is having a mother and a father, nurturing, caring for one another, showing love, expressing how that looks for their future, and also doing what moms and dads do. They parent differently. Somehow when that works together, it really aids in the the greatest amount of security for kids. They definitely have found that kids missing one parent, particularly a father, have a much higher likelihood of being imprisoned, of doing things that are criminal of all sorts of other outcomes as well as poverty come into that equation. So it's not a matter of we want to withhold from someone. Mm. No. What about what's best for the kids? Mm. And I think we have to put their future at the foremost. And that goes for every situation. So Mm. what I like about what you said there, Ann, I hadn't heard it or thought about it before, but the idea of a single parent, how that's different than a gay couple. I, I've heard, hey, mother and father is best. So since we're, we're going non-ideal, we're going to allow people to be raised by single parents. Well, hey, then why not everything? But I just thought, you know what, though? In a single parent structure, you know that the other one is missing, right? right. You're acknowledging this is not ideal. This is missing something. And we're going to do the best we can. And God bless all those single parents out there. But the structure shows that something is missing. But when mm-hmm. you allow gay couples to adopt, you're saying, no, the structure's complete. And exactly. That's what the gay lobby is saying. Yeah. This is normal. It's a normal variant, and there's nothing missing. Yeah. And the reality is, when you talk to kids that are raised in that environment, they're very keenly aware mm. that something's missing. Wow. And good. there's a huge loss to them. That's good. Well, I know another situation that a lot of people are in, a lot of Christians are in, is they have close friends who are gay and who are getting married and they struggle with going to the wedding. This is the classic, you know, what should we do? So what's your advice to to Christians in that situation? Well, I've heard a whole bunch of different responses to that question. I've, I've heard advice where just let them know, have a private conversation first and then go anyway because you don't want to lose your friendship to, I know someone who went to his daughter's lesbian wedding and he tried not to make a battle out of it. He just went and then later she, her lesbian relationship broke up and she married a man and she's had, they they now have grandbabies. Mm. So I've seen that happen personally. Weddings and marriage is actually a biblical concept. And so when we stand in the place as a witness to a wedding, then we're putting in our endorsement on that union. Let's mm. say, and here's what I like to do. I've had this conversation with a few family members on this topic. Um, what if your aunt wanted to marry her brother or your, your you know, some kind mm. of incestuous mm. adult relationship? Would you attend that? Oh, no, I'd never go to that. Mm. You see, um, homosexuality has become so accepted in our culture that we're really torn. We feel like we don't want to go, but we don't want to offend. Mm. And yet, given a different kind of sexual immorality, uh, an adult with a child, they want to marry a child under the age of 16. Well, no, I'd never go to that. Well, okay, but we've adapted to the culture so much that we're no longer aware of the offense. And I think uh, my friend Karen Booth's book title is really apropos here, Forgetting How to Blush. We've forgotten Mm. how to blush on this topic. Mm. 
and we've just become immersed in it. It's on every show that we see, you know, the philosophy is love is love. Sure. That's, yeah, why not? Go to it. I don't, I know I couldn't go, even mm. if it's my child. I would say, no, I'm sorry, I can't go, but I love you. And here's why I can't go is because I love you. Let's talk about this ahead of time. We just need to have that conversation aside. But I do realize that other people come to various conclusions. That's helpful. Well, here's the last question. And speak to the Christian out there who may be listening to this show right now who is struggling with same-sex attraction, and maybe they don't have any opposite-sex attraction. What do you think God's will is for their life? Should they act out on their desires? Should they try and eradicate the same-sex attraction? Should they remain celibate? Should they try and learn to be attracted to the opposite sex? There's all these options. What do you think God's will for that Christian is? You know, I've seen a lot of people try a lot of different options. And I think the only really sound version of how to handle that is to bring your temptation and homosexual desire, along with many other sexual desires, is a temptation to bring to the Lord. And he equips people with how to overcome that temptation, that particular instance. In fact, the more we exercise those muscles, the more likely we're going to walk in a way that's free of engaging in any particular sin, whether it's porn or it's adultery or Mm. it's anything, including homosexuality. Sexual immorality is a catch-all phrase for including homosexuality and heterosexual sins sexually, etc. And there's so much hope to be found in Jesus. Mm. But the hope resides in surrendering one's struggle to him and then let him figure out what he's going to do with you. I mean, I did not ever, ever, ever expect to get married to a man. (laughs) uh, It wasn't my goal. I didn't seek it. Mm. If I could have, I would have eradicated my same-sex attraction Mm. because it was in conflict with my faith. Mm. A lot of people are in that situation. And so the first thing is to bring it to Jesus, to go, here it is. I'm committed to walking with you faithfully, God, and that means in celibacy or not acting on the feelings just as you would not be given to acting on adultery Mm. or polyamory or porn Mm. and if if someone's struggling and stumped in acting on those things then that's where the help comes in sometimes accountability just talking to somebody about here's what causes me trouble and then they see with a porn addiction oh if i drive this particular route it puts me along the pathway of the porn shop, and therefore I'm going to pa- I'm going to go a different route. Mm. I'm going to choose something <laughs> healthier for me, right? right? And you could call that behavioralism, but you're also acting using an executive function to surrender even the driving patterns. Mm. It's a fascinating thing, but we are creatures of habit, and according to Carolyn Leaf and a whole bunch of people in the neurology field, every six years your brain is completely remade. You know, epigenetics or the Mm. rebuilding of even neurons in the brain, Mm. you could have new pathways. The point here is that there is real medical reality behind renewing your mind in Christ. And Mm. we also need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We walk alongside one another, encourage each other along the way to walk in purity and faithfulness and leave the rest up to God. You don't have to pursue opposite sex feelings but surrendering one's struggle and allowing him to support you 
and give you a new heart and mind according to walking in purity. Singleness is just as good as mm. marriage. And marriage brings on, along its own struggles that can actually compound homosexual desire if someone's going through difficulty. And so, no, I'd never push anybody into marriage as a way of dealing with same-sex attraction. I'd simply suggest falling more in love with Jesus and surrendering to him and walking alongside brothers and sisters who are doing the same. Wow, that, that is a beautiful way to end this interview. And um, biblical wisdom, I, I love how your answers are always more Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's awesome. <laughs> that, that is great. Thank, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you, Roy. All right. Now, how about you? What are you struggling with today? Your sexuality? Your identity? As Ann mentioned so many times, the answer is always more Jesus. And you'll learn more about Jesus by reading the Bible and allowing God to answer your tough questions. The Ambassadors Forum is here to help you get started. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com. While you're there, you can look at some of the questions we've already answered. You can ask us your hard question. You can sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. You can browse through some of our other helpful resources. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and sign up to join one of our monthly forum events where we have great speakers presenting on relevant topics. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs>